So we're going to be in First um, uh, Kings 18. And we're getting into Elijah. And uh, there's going to be a lot of good stuff that will come out of him because I think he was definitely, like we talked about, there were some things and how he interacted with God that he basically couldn't finish maybe his assignment because God couldn't get past those perceptions. And so he had him, you know, uh, mentor uh, Elisha. But uh, right now, we're at the point where, you know, last week, excuse me, we talked about Elijah raising the widow's son and that God provided the solution before there was ever a problem. And that whenever we look around, if we see problems, then we need to look for the solution. Because it's probably in the house. It's, it's probably where we're living. But we can be blind to it. And uh, so in 1 Kings 18, 1 through 2, we now have where the time is to end the drought. So in verse 1 it says, After many days the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year, saying, Go show yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain upon the earth. So notice the word of the Lord is, Go do this, then I will do this. Okay? So Elijah went to show himself to Ahab. Now the famine was severe in Samaria. Okay, I'm thinking it was probably in Judea. Does anybody know? I mean, I'm assuming it was, but I don't know for sure. But we do know that severe is like severe. Probably no crops, hardly at all. People are starving. And remember that Samaria is the capital of the northern kingdom. And... It was hit probably more than any other because of the sin, but also the state-sanctioned idolatry of Ahab and his wife. And I, I have not been able to find this, but there, I think it's a proverb that says that you're not supposed to align yourself with the agenda of the enemy, that if you do, you'll open yourself up to um, destruction, basically. And that, real quick, is a voting situation. Um, and like Bill Johnson said, that, you know, to vote for people that believe in abortion as a Christian because you don't like, you know, someone or you don't like their personality or whatever it is, is basically, I'm going to paraphrase, but he's like, it's jacked up. And that there are specific things we should not align ourselves with. And so if a country, and, and we got to remember, sinners are going to do what sinners do Christians determine the state of the nation the founding fathers understood that so Christians that will vote for someone who supports abortion are now lining themselves up with the agenda of the enemy and not only opening themselves up to correction but also our nation so we need to make sure that we understand that the reason the famine hit see the famine came at the word of the Lord that or the drought the drought came at the word of the Lord, therefore it was only going to be ended by the word of the Lord. And it was because of state-sanctioned idolatry. Now, it had gotten so bad that Ahab sent Obadiah. And Obadiah was over his household. So he's like, what, the steward? Uh, he would have access to the king's personal matters. He would have keys. Uh, like you know how it says that government shall be upon his shoulder they would literally government officials like Obadiah would wear the keys they were huge wooden keys or metal keys over their shoulder 
and uh, and that's how you knew they were over the king's household. So he sent him to search the land for the springs of water and valleys to try to find some grass uh, for the animals. And um, so now let's look at verse 3. So uh, Ahab called Obadiah, who, who was over the household. Now li listen to this. Obadiah feared the Lord greatly. And when Jezebel cut off the prophets of the Lord, Obadiah took a hundred prophets and hid them by fifties in a cave and fed them with bread and water. So he made sure they got some food and some water. Uh, and I love that because it shows us no matter what, God has his people in place. It's like the other day I was thinking about the state of Washington and I've really been pondering Kent's statements when they were traveling to D.C. Number one, he said, it's amazing how it's not like what the media is showing us. And then he said, it was amazing how happy people were to be working in customer service, etc. It was phenomenal. But he also said it's amazing how many people are not wearing masks in the state or our state or our country's capital as well as surrounding areas, which we could tell that because a lot of them don't wear them in events and then people are, you know, look, they're not even doing it themselves. But also um, how I was pondering that and the Lord said, yes, I've got my people even in the toppest, toppest, top positions. And uh, it's, it's like Herod within his household were Christians. Uh, who was it? Uh, Pilate, his wife, had a dream. Don't kill this man. You know, so God always has his people in place. And so in the most wicked uh, reign, as you know, so far with Ahab, God had his uh, people. Also, it proves our role in society in the seven mountains. If Obadiah held to the idea that believers in God should not be involved in government, Many prophets would have died of starvation or persecution. So we, he always wants his people in government. He always wants them in entertainment. All the seven mountains. Study that because it's very important. And that's where God is working. Okay, so now let's go down to verse 7. And it says, And as Obadiah was on his way to search for water, behold, Elijah met him. And Obadiah recognized him and fell on his face and said, Is it you? my lord Elijah. And he answered him, It is I. Go tell your lord, behold, Elijah is here. So then Obadiah is like, Well, how have I sinned that you would give your servant into the hand of Ahab to kill me? As the Lord your God lives, there is no nation or kingdom where my lord has not sent to seek you. And when they say he is not here, he would take an oath of the kingdom or nation that they had not found you. And now you say, Go tell your lord, behold, Elijah is here. And as soon as I've gone from you, the Spirit of the Lord will carry you. I know not where. And so when I come until Ahab and he can't find you, he's going to kill me. Although I, your servant, have feared the Lord from my youth. Has it not been told, my Lord, what I did when Jezebel killed the prophets of the Lord? How I hid a hundred men of the Lord's prophets by fifties in the cave and fed them with bread and water? And now you say, go tell your Lord, behold, Elijah is here and he will kill me. And Elijah said, as the Lord of hosts live before whom I stand, I will surely show myself to him today. So Obadiah went to meet Ahab and told him, and Ahab went to meet Elijah. 
And when Elijah said, uh, saw, or Ahab saw Elijah, he said, Is it you, you troubler of Israel? Uh, now, okay, before we get into that, does that story of Obadiah and Elijah just disappearing sound familiar? To anybody? Moses prophesied of the prophet that would be coming. And he told the people, he'll be like me. So, I mean, if you stay out, like, he'll be a governor, he'll, uh, you know, be a pastor, he'll deliver, you know, nations, blah, blah. Um, but also, we see the same situation with Jesus, where they sent the 600 soldiers, because every time they would try to arrest him, he would either literally walk through a mob unscathed and disappear, or he would hide, and they couldn't find him. So this is another example of a type, a shadow, pointing to Jesus. Okay? So remember, some people thought he was Elijah. Some thought he was John the Baptist. So the same thing appears to be happening with Elijah, that they would go to find him, and he'd poof, gone, poof, gone. <laughs> if you want to uh, be invisible, just be in Jesus. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know how we play when we were kids, that we were invisible and people couldn't see us? That happens. All right, so he calls him the the troubler of Israel. And then, it, and then Elijah's like, I've not troubled Israel. You have in your father's house because you abandoned the commandments of the Lord and you followed Baal. Now, therefore, send and gather all Israel to me at Mount Carmel and the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. So I always, like, you know those um, westerns? where it has the weird music and the bad guy and the good guy with the gun, you know, and they're meeting in the streets. It's a showdown. I put that in the title. Did y'all see it? The showdown. Okay. The word troubler is to cause trouble. It indicates stirring up resentment to bring about hatred or danger. Ahab called Elijah a troubler because he constantly harassed evil leaders like himself. But Elijah points out the obvious hypocrisy, and he tells them, go ahead and gather everybody, and uh, we're going to see who's God. Um, now, one of the things I was reading this morning in that book, Dark Covenant, that I thought was interesting, is they were talking about the difference between pluralism and syncretism. This was interesting. Pluralism is where there are multiple religions, okay? You, know, you have Christianity, Islam, Buddhism, Hinduism, etc. The way the Founding Fathers set up our nation was in a plural, pluralistic viewpoint, meaning this, that they were not going to regulate religion. However, they were going to found America on Christianity and Christian principles. Okay, why? Why would they not make laws that would make Christianity the only religion and all others illegal. Now, some states tried to do that. Uh, it might have been Pennsylvania that outlawed Catholics from holding office. I mean, there was some definite, you know, Virginia, I think they might have been co congregationalists. They wouldn't allow Baptists or other denominations. And so the, the states initially had formed laws that outlawed their any religion other than the one that they decided. Well, eventually over time, that changed, and they're like, hey, you know, we shouldn't do that. Well, you know, and it always amazes me how people think there's no way for us to know 
what the founding fathers were thinking because they literally wrote them down, their thoughts. Here was a thought that Christianity was so beautiful and so unusual and so, um, what's the word? Like, it'll draw you in. Like, it's so Magnetic. superior. Yes. There's no other faith out there to compare with Christianity. And even non believers said this that it should be able to stand on its own. And, and, and that other religions would not ever take over America if Christians lived according to the Bible because it's so beautiful. Well, and you know, a lot of them, that was what they were fleeing. Because state sanctions. State sanctions. Mm -hmm. You yeah. have to join our church, and if you are a Quaker, if you're this, if you're that, we're throwing you in jail. Yeah. And, and, and even like you see with the Puritan mm -hmm. movement, when they came over Massachusetts, you know, they, you know, the scarlet letter, like legalism will always try to take hold. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't matter if it's Christian-based legalism or if it's, you know, antichrist-based, which we'll, we'll see at some point. And, and, and then the Salem witch trials. Here's the reality, though. The Salem witch trials, I think it was 26 people died. And then the government leaders are like, what are we doing? We're turning into the very thing we left. So they, they stopped them. 500,000 died in Europe. So, uh, you know, pointing to our nation as the worst when it, they were going all over the world uh, is hypocritical. But the, the, the whole thing to say is we live in a society that allows for other religions. Therefore, the responsibility of stewarding Christianity in its purest form falls on the people of God not on legislation. We should not want pastors leading a nation uh, where they have a state, state, state sanctioned. We want who is anointed, whether they're saved or not. Okay, now, syncretism is what we're seeing. Syncretism is the marrying of different religions. And that's what we'll see at the end of the age. So you have the harlot church and you have the true church. Well, here, my suspicion... Remember, we've talked about how Omri, Ahab's dad, was a Yahweh believer. Well, which one? Because you've seen to syncretize Yahweh with, you know, uh, Bel worship and Asherah worship. So that's the syncretism, where almost like in countries where they mix Catholicism with voodoo, um, it's the same thing. So when you start joining, especially opposing belief systems together, Christianity will should never be married to Islam. Ever. Christianity should never be married to Buddhism. So that's there are not many ways to heaven, right? So we have to maintain the purity of the gospel of the kingdom, and that is there is one king, he was dead. He's now alive, and he's seated at the right hand of the Father. He oversees all the affairs of men, and one day he's returning. So you better get your you know, act together uh, by being born again, spirit-filled. So I think here we have this syncretism where there's been this marriage of a, a, a worship of Yahweh, which I'm not sure how you could do it if you're syncretized, and then the bell. So now it's time, hey, we're going to prove who is the true God. So in verse 20, So Ahab sent to all the people of Israel and gathered the prophets together at Mount Carmel. 
And Elisha came near to all the people and said, How long will you go limping between two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Bell, then follow him. And the people just stared at him. Crickets. Then Elisha said to the people, I, even I only, am left a prophet of the Lord. Okay, stop. What did Obad Obadiah tell him? Right. So, are you deaf? You know, did you not hear? Because that's not true. But that's his perception. We'll get into that uh, deeper the next time we dive into him. But he said, but Bell's prophets are 450 men. Let two bulls, very important, be given to us and let them choose one bull for themselves. Cut in pieces, lay it on the wood, but don't put any fire to it. And I will prepare the other bull and lay it on the wood and put no fire to it. And you will call upon the name of your God, and I will call upon the name of the Lord. And the God who answers by fire, he is God. Okay, the bull. Bell worship was a bull. And if you look at, um, I read this fabulous book by um, Christian Harfouche on the bull God. He's in all the religions. Um, and we know it's a picture of the enemy. Uh, but anyway, he wants, okay, you're going to sacrifice bulls to the bull God. I'm going to sacrifice a bull to the one true God. In other words, it was a representation and a picture of their God. Well, we kind of saw that in the when Moses and the, and the uh, curses that come down. Yes. Every one of the gods of Egypt, basically, he sent as a curse upon them. Yes. And the two calves, the bulls, right? So we have the um, calf that just poof showed up out of the fire with Aaron. And then we have the two calves that were set up in Dan and Bethel by Jeroboam. So it evolved. But I thought that was interesting that it was going to be the bulls and then the fire coming down. Uh, of course, you know, you got Jesus' Jesus's disciples like, should we call down fire from heaven? Uh, but when I read this just now, James came to my mind. Um, I was going to say, but on the other hand, with David sacrificed when he went to go pick up the, the, the ark, didn't he? Wasn't there a lot of bulls that he... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, there is an offering where you got the bulls, um, of course the sheep, rams, doves, all that. Uh, but in James 1, let's look at verse 2 through 8. Now this is referring to trial, which I would say Elijah was in a trial. You know, I mean, he had to live under his own prophetic word. Um, you know, he's... To, you know, having to do all this nonsense if people would have just, you know, just love Jesus. <laughs> just, you know, love God. I mean, that's that's all he wanted. But in verse 2 of James 1, it says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So that word steadfast is um, the ability to live under difficult circumstances. The patience that's in Hebrews chapter 6 or chapter 10 is an ability to uh, live under difficult people. So there's two kinds of patience, difficult people, difficult circumstances. But let me clarify testing, because testing is one of those words that has a dual meaning. Um, one is... The enemy comes to tempt you, 
to cause you to fall, the flip side is enemy ha or the Lord has confidence in you to choose Him in that testing. So any test you face where the enemy is trying to tempt you is proof God has confidence for you to say no. Isn't that interesting? So, God does not send temptation. He does not send car wrecks. He does not send sickness. He does not send any of those things. The enemy does it to try to get you to fall. Persecution uh, is an example of that. Okay, now here's the answer to trials. Verse 5. If you lack wisdom, let him ask of God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He's a double-minded man, unstable in all of his ways. So when we go back, to verse 21, he said, how long will you go limping between two different opinions? The word doubt in the Greek is to have two minds. Back and forth, back and forth, yeah. back and forth. Well, in Hebrews, um, and this isn't in your notes either, but when I read that, I thought about... Um, might be verse... Oh, here it is. Hebrews 12... 12 and 13. And it's talking about the discipline of the Lord, which that was one of my favorite teachings from Hebrew. The four levels of discipline. It cleared up so much uh, for me as far as how all that works. But it says in verse 12, Therefore lift up your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not put you out of joint, but rather be healed. Um... And, it, and that's referring to the root of bitterness as well. But lame is limping. Okay? So, obviously there's some bitterness there. Obviously there's some things going on in the nation. And because of that, the Lord now wants to address. It's like, hey, we're going to end once and for all this going back and forth here. And we're going to make it very, very plain. This story cracks me up. Because of how Elijah, he reminds me of President Trump. We're going to break it down into modern language, okay? All right, so then in, uh, we're at verse 25. Oh, I didn't finish verse uh, 24. So he said, we're going to, you know, whoever answers by fire is God. And all the people said, ah, well spoken, yes. So then Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, choose for yourselves one bull and prepare it first, for you are many, and call upon the name of your God, but put no fire to it. So they took the bull that was given them, and they prepared it, and they called upon the name of Bell from morning until noon, saying, O Bell, answer us. There was no voice, no one answered, and they limped around. Now that's interesting. I never noticed that. The altar that they had made. And at noon, Elijah mocked them, saying, Well, get louder. He's a god. Maybe he's musing and pondering himself, you know, things or maybe he's relieving himself or maybe he's traveling on a journey perhaps he's taking a nap and he needs to be wakened now that's hilarious and they cry aloud even more cut themselves with their swords and lances until blood gushed out upon them 
And as midday passed, they raved on until the time of the offering of the oblation, but there was no voice, no one answered, no one paid attention. Now this, they're a bloody mess. They are covered in blood, limping around, trying to, you know, and Elijah's, I don't know if he's preparing his bull or if he's kicked back with some grass in his mouth, you know, just making fun of them. Yeah, but he's basically really getting under their skin, right? Uh, mocking them. Okay. So then we get all of this is happening. Now remember, Bell is over the harvest. He's over the rain. Okay? And, and Kathy brought this out uh, this when she did this uh, teaching on this part uh, months ago, or maybe even a couple years ago. Verse 30. So Elijah said, well, go ahead and come over here. So all the people came to him. He prepared the altar of the Lord that had been thrown down. Elijah took 12 stones. Why? Because it's covenant. And it's according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord came. Israel shall be your name. He is reminding them of their identity. He's reminding them of who God, God called them to be. And with the stones, he built an altar in the name of the Lord. Then he made a trench about the altar as great as would contain two seas, seas of seed, which I don't know how wide that is. You remember, Kathy? How? I do. Okay. And he put the wood in order, and he cut the bull in pieces, and he put it on the wood. He then said, fill four jars with water. And he put it on the burnt offering on the wood. And he said, do it a second time. And they did it a second time. And he said, do it a third time. They did it a third time. And the water ran around the altar, and then it filled the trench. Now, this is in a drought. Okay? Where did the water come from? I'm just curious. Because we know that Obadiah had gone around the country looking for water for the grass. Where did Elijah get this water? Could it have multiplied? So the first miracle of Jesus is filling water jugs and then turning them into wine? I don't know. The word doesn't say that, but that's just a question I have. Where did this water come from? But it's another slap in the face. <laughs> because Baal is supposed to be over the water. They're in a drought, and Elijah's pouring all this water in a trench, drenching the sacrifice. It looked like waste, too. And it looked like waste. Yep. So then, at the time of the offering of the oblation, Elijah the prophet came near and said, O Lord God, of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel. Let it be known this day that you are God in Israel, that I am your servant, and that I have done all of these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, that the people may know that you, O Lord, are God, and that you have turned their hearts back. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. Okay, now in Malachi, I want you to see the purpose of the fire. Because remember that the disciples again wanted to call down fire because they refused to let um, Jesus, you know, through, which we'll, we'll get to that in a second, but in Malachi verse 4, and this isn't in your notes, uh, I'm sorry, chapter 4 verses 5 through 6, behold, 
I send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes, and he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. The family unit, right? So we see in verse 37 that you are the Lord, uh, that you are God and that you have turned their hearts back. Okay? So sure enough, they do all of that and uh, the author twice says that the bell prophets kept crying and cutting themselves until the offering of the oblation and then the fire comes down at the time of the offering of oblation. What the heck? Okay, so this offering is the grain offering. Again, grain, harvest, bell, but it's sometimes called the peace offering. What is Elijah doing? Where the motivation of the disciples was vengeance, Elijah is trying to turn a nation back to God. He's trying to reconcile. He's a minister of reconciliation. People, to me, have misunderstood Elijah as a fire and brimstone prophet. He's trying to get a nation saved. And so, it's a peace offering. Baal was the great storm god. The fertility of the land depends on the rain this god supplies, which is why God directed Elijah to command no rain for three and a half years. And now we see that he's also tied to the harvest of the land. This word for grain offering, oblation, is synonymous with a Greek word, phosphora, a term referring to Jesus' death. So all of this is a picture of Jesus Christ. In uh, Ephesians 5.2 it says, And walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. It's the same word there. Hebrews 10.10 And by that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. Hebrews 10.14 by a single offering, he is perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Jesus is the one true God, the Word made flesh. Jesus is the sacrifice, the peace offering that we're seeing demonstrated here. Isn't that neat? I, I never tied it, ever. Because you kind of get caught up in what happens yeah. next. Yeah. Right? So what I'm about to read you, I want you to apply it to the return of the Lord. And this is so important to understand the lion and the lamb. Maturity is knowing the kindness and the severity of the Lord. When the Lord returns the second time, the age of grace ends. And He's going to kill His enemies. He's given us plenty of time. He gave His own self and an invitation to all of the world to follow Him. So when he returns, there's no excuse, and he's going to start killing people. So I just want to say that because then it can get lost what was going on when we read verses 39 or 40. And Elijah said to them, so the people, they see it, they confess, the Lord is God, the Lord, he is God. He said, seize the prophets of Baal. Let not one of them escape. And they seized them, and Elijah brought them down to the brook Kishon, and slaughtered them right there. Okay, so now we've got 
the second coming being pictured for us. So God has proven that He alone is a true God. Jesus proves that God is alone the true God. The people have removed the demonic prophets, have turned the hearts of the people from God. Now rain is coming. Okay. And do you think that he didn't do it there because this is an altar? He took because he took them away from that. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't a sacrifice. Mm -hmm. I mean, killing mm -hmm. the it was prophets. an execution. It was an yep. execution. So yeah. I think that was the reason that they moved the position of slaughtering them. Slaughtering. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, okay. Now, how did Elijah know that rain was coming? Did he hear it? Did he hear wind? Um, which, if the wind in the forest is, quote, the sound of the rushing rain, maybe. But we do know the Lord said, if you do this, I'll send rain. So he's completed his task. Verse 41. Elijah said to Ahab, Go up, eat and drink, for there is the sound of the rushing of rain. So Elijah went up to eat and to drink, or celebrate, right? And Elijah went to the top of Mount Carmel, and he bowed himself down on the earth and put his face between his knees. And he said to his servant, Go up now, look toward the sea. And he went up and looked and said, There's nothing. And he said, Go again seven times. And at the seventh time, he said, Behold, a little cloud like a man's hand is rising from the sea. And he said, Go up. Say to Ahab, prepare your chariot and go down lest the rain stop you. And a little while the heavens grew black with clouds and wind, and there was a great rain, and Ahab rode and went to Jezreel, Jezreel. And the hand of the Lord was on Elijah, and he gathered up his garment, and he ran before Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. Okay, so there's a couple of things. He gets in a birthing position, because he's an intercessor as well. He's a watchman over Israel. This is the best example of fervent prayer. And this is the best example of praying in your prophetic word. I like how Elisha didn't look for rain out of where rain wouldn't be coming. You know, he was practical. Where does rain come? It comes from the sea. Well, and he, he had already pictured it because he sent the servant to go and look for it. Yeah, in and a specific location. Right. Yeah. And uh, so... He's got the word. He knows it's going to rain. He has to follow directions first. Then he intercedes. This right here could be a key to some of the fulfillment of prophetic words you've had. What is your identity, number one, right? Number two, what's the action step? Number three, what's the prayer? So he's got all of those fulfilled. He's now praying. He doesn't quit. He sends them back seven times. So he's not going to stop praying until he sees some evidence of rain. Now in James 5, 17 through 18, it says, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it would not rain, and for three years and six months it did not rain. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. In the Passion, it says, Elijah was a man with human frailties, just like all of us. But he prayed and he received supernatural answers. He actually shut the heavens over the land so there would be no rain for three and a half years. And they prayed again and the skies opened up over the land so the rain came and produced a harvest. Okay, prayed and received supernatural answers is he prayed with prayer. <laughs> right? Isn't that what you do? Is you pray with prayer. Meaning 
he prayed with intensity, which is great energy and concentration. Ahab then hurried to Jezreel, which is a very interesting city, because the name means God sows, or may God make fruitful, which is ironic, because this was a battle, right, between God and Baal. Now, here's something that is a pet peeve of mine. And it's a pet peeve with myself, but also something I see that we do. If you have a goal, okay, this is your goal. But, oops, and I teach this to my business clients. And you've got lots of things to be distracted with. Your energy is being dispersed. It's never going to go toward your goal. But if you have one thing that you're focused on, you're going to harness all of your energy, all of your concentration toward that. So that's why the question is, what is the one thing that if I do it, all else becomes unnecessary? So what do you want? Then you can know what you really want by two things, your willingness to change and your willingness to learn. If your willingness to change is 5%, but your willingness to learn is 10, guess what? You've got a 50% chance that you'll reach your goal. But if your willingness to change is 10 and your willingness to learn is 10, you have a 100% chance of reaching your goal. So you don't have to fake yourself out. You don't have to guess. Are you willing to change? Are you willing to learn? If so, all your concentrated effort will go toward that goal, right? So with Elijah, he had one goal, and that was to turn the heart of a nation. So everything was filtered to that one thing. Well, with, with everybody, we have to be careful in our spiritual pursuits prayer, transformation, etc. To, to not get distracted because there's so many things. If God is saying, I want you to focus and hone in on this, that's what you focus and hone in on. And you do it until He tells you, okay, let's, let's focus in on that. We're people as a group, craftsmen, right? We're all creative. We all have many pursuits. We all have things that we can do that will bring us fulfillment and joy. But what is God saying for you now? Okay? So that's very important. Don't get distracted. Here's what I, I have so many things I want to study. I'm probably not going to live long enough to study them all. So I have to ask the Lord, where am I at now? And then you can feel the urgency. Like after um, Kathy's teaching on uh, the line and him, or him writing in the sand and all of that, um, the Beatitudes. I knew I needed to be in the Beatitudes, so I broke those down. So literally, that's what I will hone in on. If you feel scattered, you are. So now it's time to bring in all the distractions Get those laid aside and hone in on where the harvest is. You can't just sow your seed out all over the place. 
where are you going to sow your time, your attention, and the word into your heart, right? So we've got to, I guess what I'm saying is we've got to keep going until we get the harvest, the result that God wants us to have. It's like gossip. He's like, hey, I want you to focus in on gossip so that you know how wicked and evil it is. Okay, and so that's what I studied. So we have to do the anger. When I was raising Kent, you need a for a month, 30 days, read all the scriptures you can on that. So we need to have concentrated effort. Same thing with prayers. What are you wanting? What is God telling you to pray? Hone in on that. When you can speak to the mayor of a town and he off the top of his head can tell you what he is praying for our city, that tells me that's a man who is not giving lip service. He is praying these things, right? So, uh, God sows Jezreel, etc. Okay, so back to this Jezreel thing because there are several prophetic words about Jezreel, which is one of the things I want to study because it seems to be a very important thing. I looked up the place of Jezreel in the Anchor Yell Bible Dictionary. It says this. Now remember, it means God sows or may God make fruitful. By the reign of Ahab, Jezreel had become the winter capital of the Israelite kingdom. As a political center, the town was the setting for a number of sanguinary events. Although the site has never been extensively excavated, the Old Testament records that at the time of Ahab, the city was defended by a city wall, which had at least one tower. Ahab's palace was located in Jezreel and would seem to have an upper story with windows. Remember, old Hezebel got thrown down. During Ahab's reign, a number of events occur. Following the test between Elijah and the prophets of Baal and Asherah on the Carmel, Elijah is said to have run before Ahab's chariot when he returned to the palace. A vineyard alongside the palace belonging to Naboth the Jezreelite was coveted by Ahab and Queen uh, Jezebel. When Naboth refused to sell his inheritance, Jezebel engineered his execution as a traitor so Ahab could acquire the property. Elijah cursed Ahab and his entire house for this uh, crime. This curse is not carried out until the reign of Joram, Ahab's son. Jehu, commander of Joram's army, after being anointed by, the, by a disciple of Elijah, led a coup against Joram on Jehu's, uh, or killing him outside Jezreel and casting his corpse into Naboth's former vineyard. On Jehu's order, Jezebel, Joram's mother, was thrown out of the palace window by palace eunuchs, and her corpse was trampled by Jehu's horses. During the course of the coup, Jehu piled the heads of 70 sons of Ahab outside the gates of Jezreel before killing all of the supporters. So when it says sanguinary, a lot of bloodletting occurred in Jezreel. So because of sin, blood became the water for the harvest. And uh, Jezreel became a place of the, um, basically the fruitfulness of uh, the fruit of being wicked. So Elijah, now I'm not, it sounds like a supernatural event because he gathered up his garment and he ran before or in front of Elijah. And I'm not sure. I don't know if the original language is saying he ran alongside Ahab as he hurried to the palace or if he ran ahead of him and beat him to the palace. But either way, you have Ahab in a chariot and Elijah is either running alongside it or in front of him. Now, we know that once he gets here, verse 1, 
Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah and said, So may the gods do to me and more also, if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. Then he was afraid. And we're going to dive into it. I'm going to show you why he was afraid. We're going to trace it. Because fear always has a starting point. And that's why I tell people and myself, you have to trace where did fear enter. And it's always perception, but something occurred. Either a thought or an action was done upon you. But we do know that what we can say today is that Elijah's perception of God was as a lawgiver. And when you interact with him as the lawgiver only and not as father, then what do you have? Fear of punishment, right? Mature love casts out the fear of punishment. That's what that means in the Greek. So I think Elijah, probably a DCCD personality, it might have been hard for him to connect with God in a personal way, uh, which we see by, you know, when God came in a still small voice. He was tired. He had just slaughtered, what, 450 prophets. He had just ended a three and a half year drought that I'm sure caused emotional turmoil for him. And then also he just ran a marathon. You know, so that's his state. And he arrives and Jezebel releases that word and was able to take root. And I'm wondering, because we talked about that focus and how focused he was, I suspect he had been focused for three and a half years. Mm -hmm. That he's been building up to this one point. Right. And now that point's over. And he has not allowed any other, like you said, perceptions of God because he has been so focused in on this end result. And once it was over, then he was open. Absolutely. To whatever. And that's how the Emmy works, right? The greatest, and this is so important, the greatest um, opportunity for the enemy is right after victory. And not only that, but he had been carrying a nation on his shoulders. He was a true father. He'd been carrying this nation. And and then, you know, it's like she says one word. Because I, I couldn't, I was like, Lord, I want to know how that happened. Because I do know Jezebel does carry a demonic power, you know, when you're dealing with someone that's under that influence. But still, the guy called fire down from heaven and killed all these people, so I couldn't figure out, why are you scared of a woman? Uh, but again, there was perception, there was a perfect storm, he's exhausted, and now with one word, he's, he's depressed and he's scared. I think he's also a lesson of being task-focused can be dangerous. Just like being people-focused can be dangerous. Being task-focused can be dangerous because you do. You get so focused in on what God is telling you to do that before you know it, the relationship aspect has become apart or low. And then once that task is over, because it was over at that point, then he's left kind of afloat. Have you y'all know? ever, like, where you've been so focused on something or you've gone through a trial that, and you've got this energy, right? Because you're running on the energy of you have to take care of things. And then 
when it's over, you're like, I'm so yes. tired. And uh, I've, I, you know, people with health crises or what, I mean, I've seen it over and over and over that I think that that's part of what's going on there too. So, but anything else from anybody? All right. Well, let's, um, let's pray over our, our tithes and offerings. Don't forget next week we'll just relax and y'all get to sleep in maybe a couple days. I don't know. Do you get to sleep in Saturday? We'd be closed Christmas. I think I'm, yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, Father, we thank you so much for the word of the Lord and for a new way of seeing the events of Elijah. I never saw his role as a, a, a reconciler. Is that even a word? Reconciliator? <laughs> someone, a mediator. Someone bringing a nation back to your heart. I never saw that. I never saw how joined he was with the mission of Jesus Christ. Now I understand the role that the ministry that Elijah started is to turn the hearts of the Father to their children, their children to the Father. And so I pray that that is our role, to present a very clear picture of who Father is to people that don't know Him and to people that do, but maybe they have a perception of Him that is incorrect. And Father, I ask that you continue to help us understand your kindness and your severity the judgments of the Lord are things that are to be desired, but knowing when to pronounce and decree in agreement with you guilty or innocent, we cannot rely on our own selves. We have to rely on Holy Spirit and allow Him to explore our motives and present them to us whenever maybe we're hurt or angry, fatigued, depressed, whatever it is. Father, also, I ask that you help us and show us any perceptions that could cause us to not see you correctly. Or any strengths of personality that overextended can cause us problems. Father, I also ask that this morning you receive our tithes and offerings. Because we're giving them to you as children, but we're also giving them to you as kings. We are not giving to you this morning out of any obligation whatsoever under the law. Because the law has filtered through Jesus Christ. We're giving them because they are our pledge of loyalty to Jesus as a one true king to whom all glory and honor and power belong. So we give them to you this morning and we ask that Jesus receive them where he is in heaven and we give them cheerfully without any doubt, without any compulsion. In Jesus' name, amen.